0: Dear God, it's with great anticipation that we approach Christmas once again, the great tipping point of history, where you came to be with us in the little child born in Bethlehem. We pray this morning for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon our congregation so we might comprehend in some fuller way what this story tells us about who you are and how much you love us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I'm looking for a really good book to read, one of the things that I do, Jasmine and I will go to a bookstore and I'll get several books and line them up, open them to the first page and just challenge that author to pull me in by the very first words. If they do pull me in, then I'm in, and I've bought a book. And uh, if they don't, then I'm off to the very next one. Now, with that in mind this morning, I want you to turn in your Bible or perhaps your device to the very first page of the Gospel of Matthew, which, of course, is also the very first page of the New Testament. And to notice how Matthew begins his Gospel with a genealogy. Really? Is it possible to imagine a less appealing Way to open the story of Matthew than with a family tree with an ancestry? And you know, not just a brief family tree, by the way, but one with 42 generations and 46 different names, most of which you and I can't even pronounce. Do we maybe need to send Matthew to a writing workshop? But the thing is, commentators tell us that Matthew actually knows exactly what he's doing. He's on his game. In fact, he knows that there is absolutely no more compelling way that he could open his gospel for his particular target audience than with this genealogy. And that is because he is addressing 2,000 years ago a Jewish community that is struggling hard to integrate their Jewish faith with their new faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Matthew is helping them to see that belonging now to Jesus doesn't mean that they have to leave their Jewish roots and their Jewish story behind. Quite the contrary, but that they've actually found the Messiah toward whom this whole genealogy, this whole family tree, the children of Abraham and David toward in whom this whole story is heading. And in this family tree, Matthew does something that must surely rivet his Jewish audience, but which we usually completely miss. He weaves in the names of five women. Women. I mean, back then, genealogies were only about who fathered and begat whom. You didn't have women in a genealogy, but here are five of them, and a very, very surprising list at that. I mean, Matthew doesn't include the illustrious matriarchs of the Jewish faith, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, but women who are foreigners, or who have, if we put it politely, at least a very complicated or even a scandalous story. In verse 3, you'll see Tamar the Canaanite. In verse 5, there's Rahab the Canaanite, prostitute and spy. And there's also Ruth the Moabite, daughter-in-law of Naomi. All of these are non-Jews. And then in verse 6, there's the wife of Uriah, Matthew can't even get himself to say Bathsheba, the victim of King David's lust. So what's Matthew doing? He's showing his Jewish audience That God's salvation story has already been flowing through some amazingly unlikely people. And he's getting them ready. He's preparing them for the even more astonishing way that God is now about to enter their world. Through the child. Through a child born not in a palace But in a stable, a child born to a woman who is engaged, yes, but not yet married. And whose fiance, Joseph, we are now about to meet in Matthew's story. An exhausted, Joseph collapses into his bed. He's a carpenter in Nazareth, a poor working man who puts food on his table by making tables. He's a steady, careful thinker who goes over things this way and that way, just like he's sanding one of his tabletops. And after today's shocking news, that's exactly what he's doing tonight. Lying there in bed, Joseph marvels how things that began so very well have now ended so disastrously. I mean, just a month ago, he, he went to visit the father of a young woman named Mary and as was the custom, Joseph, though poor, took with him a small sum of money that he'd carefully been saving for years. He also brought along some, some really special gifts for Mary's father. Dried fish from Caesarea, dates from Jericho, and some good wine from Tiberias. The meeting went really well with the dad. Mary's father already knew about Joseph's reputation in Nazareth for honesty and hard work and his devotion to God. And truth be told, he also liked the gifts. And so the 14-year-old Mary was promised to the older Joseph, and their wedding date was set For a year after. But then all of these carefully laid plans. Are shattered by three words. Mary is pregnant. He heard them. Joseph heard them. From a friend of Mary's family. When that friend came to his shop. And Joseph said to this friend, Well, how can that be? I mean, I've only been with her once, and, and, and the whole family was there with us. And lying there tonight in his dark room, Joseph suddenly realizes he needs to move quickly now, fast, before all of the 400 people in the little town of Nazareth start talking and tittering about Mary's growing belly. So what on earth should he do? Should he should he follow what Deuteronomy 22 prescribes for an unfaithful bride? Should he take Mary to the entrance of her father's house? and have her stoned? No. Well, th- then should he publicly expose Mary and 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 try to save his own good name? No. Should he go to Mary's father tomorrow and quietly insist on a divorce? Yes, that's what he should do. And with his mind now made up, Joseph falls into a deep and restless sleep. A few hours later, Joseph wakes up with his heart in his throat. And he suddenly remembers his strange, strange dream of an angel saying to him, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and you are to name him Jesus. God saves And so it's now that Joseph starts going over his dream this way and that way, this way and that way. Could this, before wedlock pregnancy, this moral outrage, in fact, be a holy disruption from God? Getting out of bed. Joseph now chooses to do something eternally significant. He chooses to disobey Scripture in order to join what God, the new thing that God is about to do in the world. He sets aside his plans for divorce. And takes Mary as his wife. And her child. As his son now. And after her child. No, no, no. After their child is is born. They name him Jesus. And when Joseph and Mary. Later come together as husband and wife. Matthew tells us. Jesus then becomes part of a blended family with four other brothers and at least two other sisters. Matthew 13 at the end just says sisters, so we know there's two at least. Here at East Chestnut, As we draw near to Christmas, we're remembering God's dawning light. And my goodness, we need that light right now. And we're remembering the astonishing way that God chose to come be with us. We're remembering how God chooses to enter into the story of a very particular people through a particular child, through a particular mother, and raised by a particular father. And we're remembering how God needs this father Joseph to be compassionate and not to stone Mary and, by the way, the child growing in her womb. God needs that. God needs Joseph to resist the empire, to protect this vulnerable child from its murderous soldiers, and to shelter him in faraway Egypt. God needs that. God needs Joseph to raise Jesus as a good and faithful Jew. And thus to fulfill all that the prophets have foretold. God needs that. And above all. God. And above all, we are remembering how our heavenly father needs Joseph to be the earthly Father of Jesus. To be the father. Who will love. Rather than despise. The son. Who is not of his own flesh and blood. To be the earthly father. Whom this gurgling. Newborn and we heard a newborn earlier. Whom this gurgling newborn. Will first call. And here today at the end of 2016, the great drama of God's salvation story still continues through average Joes like you and like me. Or maybe we should also add to that average Josephine's, right, Matt and Erica? You know, our world may tell us that our acts of faithfulness and loving kindness and compassion won't ever amount to a hill of beans. That our lives are just a series of random and meaningless events, but don't you believe them. Don't believe it. God has not created one of us whose life is not eternally valued and needed. Just like Joseph. Every time we choose the way of love over the way of fear, every time we resist evil, every time we resist demagoguery to stand with the vulnerable, every time we let God's dream become our dream, we are joining what God is still doing in our world. And someday, I do believe, when we all return home to God, we will find the precincts of heaven populated with multitudes of anonymous but deeply faithful people like Joseph. And we all know people like that, who have deeply shaped our lives, but who are unknown to the world. And so, dear friends, I say to you today, let us hail Joseph as well, carpenter man, average Joe. Blessed is he among all people, and blessed is the child that he raised and that he loved, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.